Welcome to episode 11 of Just a Gringo from Miami with his gringa sister, the gringa. And we are with the honorable <laughs> Michael Butler. And that's honorable with a capital H because we are talking to an elected official who's already regretting his choice of being on this podcast. How are you doing, Mike? I'm well. You don't look well. Feeling a bit regretful, maybe? <laughs> there we go. That's more <laughs> accurate. And as usual, we're under time constraints because my sister's now fiance, congratulations, Jen. Thank you, Ron. Is the cheapest person on earth, and they found a happy hour on a Saturday night. I'm sure it's like Century Village two for one or something like that. So she has to be out of here by 420. Otherwise, the two for ones go away and they will have to pay for a full yes, price exactly drink. The That's okay. Run. That's okay. Enjoy your two dollar and fifty cent Paps oh, Blue I Ribbons. I need it after. I need it after this podcast. So let's 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 go forward. Okay. So let's use the time while we do have Jennifer. Um, so Mike, you have actually a fascinating life. Mike does not take compliments well. He's actually one of the most humble people on earth. Uh, he's also the most organized person on earth. He's actually rolling up something as we're talking. <laughs> Tell us about your birth. You were not born in the United States. Where were you born? No, it, well, <clears throat> this is not unusual for, um, you know, people who are associated with government or military, but my father was working for um, the uh, Defense Department and I was born in Okinawa, Japan, like a lot of children of military families. And how long did you live in Okinawa? I was there until I was uh, six years old. Do you have any memories of Okinawa? Yes, I do. Yeah, not a lot, but yeah, I still remember my uh, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Billingsley. Yes, she was amazing. That doesn't sound Japanese. No, it was on a military base. So there was a huge military presence in Okinawa, Japan, as I'm sure most people are aware. And um, so I was born in a U.S. Army hospital and uh, went to school on a U.S. military base. So you were enjoying that sweet, sweet government health care right, right from the beginning. That's right, exactly, absolutely. So, and where'd you go after Okinawa? Uh, we moved, my family moved to Arizona. There's a big military base just uh, south of Tucson called Fort Huachuca. And my dad worked there for a few years and then we moved to Virginia for a few years and then to uh, Germany. So what, what did your dad do for the government? He was in communications. So Fort Huachuca is a huge communications military base. Um, and when we lived in uh, Germany, I don't remember everything that he did, but uh, a lot of it obviously he couldn't share with us, but uh, a lot of it had to do with ensuring that there was uh, communication between uh, US forces and our allies in Europe during you know, war. So you can imagine how complicated communications can get between armies. We have trouble just within Broward County. So is your, is your father still alive? No, he's passed. Okay. So we could come clean. He was an assassin. That's <laughs> yeah, no. he was, you know, it's one of the things a lot of people, I think, in the U.S. don't appreciate is how many uh, uh, men and women work for the, us 
overseas to you know keep us safe and keep us uh, keep the world um, uh, at peace. It's 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 really uh, amazing. Now now when I lived in Europe, there were far more people living there than there are now. Far more U.S. military in Europe than there are now. A lot of them left with the peace dividend of the '90s, but uh, it's still a lot of people, a lot of Americans. So so what what was it like? Going to high school in Germany. There you are in Virginia. How long had you lived in Virginia at that point? Um, almost three years. Okay. So your whole junior high, basically. Yeah. And you made friends. Mm-hmm. And you probably had a girl you liked. Sure. Yes. And then your dad says, forget going to high school with all your friends. You're going to go to high school in a completely different country. What, how did that sit with 14 or 15-year-old Mike Butler? Yeah, it was. I, so I started eighth grade in uh, Germany. My uh, my brother started ninth grade. My oldest brother actually uh, graduated high school in Virginia, and uh, we left to Germany right after we dropped him off at college. So he uh, had no family in the U.S. Uh, while he started uh, school. But it, you know, honestly, the the one thing about the um, going to school at military bases overseas is that they're very open to newcomers because they have so many coming in and coming out all the time. It's not the same kind of clickiness that you would get in a typical, and not not a bad thing that you have that. It's just normal uh, in a typical American uh, school. So you're not the new kid. Now there's new kids coming in. Literally during the year, you'll have uh, kids coming in and out of school. So I started. Uh, eighth grade there a month into their school year. They had already started by the time we got there. And what, what was it like uh, going to high school overseas? It, I, you know, there's tremendous advantages, frankly. I mean, Germany was, I mean, it's just a gorgeous country. It's an amazing place to live. Uh, it's close to everything. You know, you drive two hours and you're in France and, or Switzerland. Um, uh, the skiing is fantastic. There's there, there's a lot of benefits to living in Europe. I think the biggest disadvantage is, is that you don't really have a hometown. So you know, coming back to the states, you and Jen grew up here. Your hometown folks, you you've lived here your whole lives. Uh, I don't have any place like that. That's the only disadvantage, frankly. Ron, I should have my children listen to this podcast. They won't, you know give me a hard time about moving 14 times. Yeah. <laughs> Introduce them to some military folks. They do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, you should be engaged to a military guy, Jen. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And on a military base, the drinks are half off all the time, right? Oh, we used to go, we had a, uh, we used to go to the uh, officer's club and Heinz was the guy that uh, made the uh, drinks there. And for a dollar ten, he made a, Long Island iced tea, and it only took two of them to uh, to make sure that you were uh, feeling really good. And you could show up as late as like four forty-five, right? <laughs> yes, you could go for a dollar well, ten. Jen, could have lasted a little longer. Yeah, you'd, you'd get a great deal on drinks there. <laughs> so, I do, I, I do notice that one of the effects of you having gone to high school in Germany is your complete, utter lack of knowledge of American sports. Yes. I don't know if that's uh, Germany or uh, my father wasn't, we just didn't follow sports. We didn't have American TV to even watch uh, when we were living there. So, but yes, I don't watch sports. And not even like World Cup or anything, right? I've watched a little bit of the World Cup, but no. So that explains 
why you actually have a sliver of free time to be a, a commissioner. Is that a correct term? Commissioner, yes. I, I should know. I was holding one of your election signs. Thank you. Um, I just didn't bother to look up to see what it said. <laughs> it could have said, buy one, get one free at Subway. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't bother to look at it. And then it started pouring, so it didn't matter. But um, <clears throat> the time the rest of us waste watching sweaty grown men collide into each other, you're actually doing something productive like watching out for the people of Hollandale Beach. I hope so. I like to think so, yes. That's probably why you actually have the time to do it. I, I agree. I, it, it is a, a tremendous amount of time commitment to follow sports, yeah. So you were first elected to the city of Hollandale Beach, what was it, six years ago? March of 2018. Is that because uh, literally every commissioner was indicted or under investigation? It was something no. like that? We had had a, a commissioner that had resigned and uh, his, his seat was open. That The seat that, that that commissioner was in was open. And so our city charter at the time required a special election to fill that seat. And so that happened to be in March of 2018 that I ran and won for that uh, special term. So that seat was from March of 2018 to November of 2018. And then I had to run again for, the, for a full four-year term in November. So I'm sure when you go to these commission meetings, uh, the, the commission room is full of concerned citizens and they're all bringing you very uh, productive and engaged uh, commentary on how they would like their city to be run. Is that accurate? Yeah, I like to ask uh, people who ask me that question <laughs> if they even know who their elected officials in their local city are, because most people don't. And uh, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I certainly was the same way. But no, nobody shows up to city commission meetings, <laughs> or rarely, I should say. If they do, it's normally because of something very specific, like a tax increase or you know some issue that they have that they want to uh, address. But it's it's rare. Most of our commission meetings, I would say all of our commission meetings have more city employees and commissioners than we do residents attend, yeah, typically. And and why do you think that is? You know, I, people I think aren't really uh, that engaged with their local politics. It's not something you think about even though, you know, you'll hear this from a lot of people. We have more impact on your lives than uh, your county, state, or federal in a lot of ways. So local uh, municipalities typically handle your police and your fire, they you know manage the streets, your water, your sewer. Zoning. Uh, yeah, zoning and code compliance and your local parks. So they, they have a lot that they manage and a lot of things that you, you know, deal with every day. But most people don't know who their mayor is or who, they're, who they voted for, or even if they did vote for uh, their local official, typically. It's, it's not uncommon. What is, your, what is your major accomplishments that you want to achieve as a commissioner? Like what is your top couple of things that you want to make sure you get done we, as the commissioner of You know, Hallandale has a, has a history of being um, a, a, a little bit uh, of a challenging uh, city from a politics standpoint. And uh, okay. most of it's really just trying to um, get the city to work for our residents. 
um, okay. and deliver really, I think, what the residents really deserve and have deserved for a long time. And and it's you know you know we I think we've had a lot of success over the last two years doing just that. So I'm I'm really proud of what the city has done just uh, over the past few Can years. Can you go into a couple of specifics? Well, we uh, you know some of the big things are. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, our, our infrastructure is very old, um, and a lot of people don't realize in Florida that in order to, you know, when you flush your toilet, uh, we have to use lift stations to move that waste along to the uh, processing facility. And those lift stations in Florida are pretty basic, pretty simple uh, from a, a, I think generally speaking they are. I'm not an engineer, but... Um, uh, ours in the city of Hallandale are 30 to 50 years old. Some are, I think one we have even older than that. Um, their normal lifespan is 20 to 30 years. So if you're not replacing those lift stations, upgrading them on a regular basis, you know, you start to have failures. And we've had over the past couple of years, uh, several failures of our lift stations, which, you know, that's why people have, you know, sewage can back up into your home. If you're if, right. if it's not working, so you know there's a lot that they've done to make sure that those lift stations are working. But so we we have in, just in the past four years, the city has uh, started getting grant money, um, and we've already received over thirty million dollars in grant money, of which fourteen was just to upgrade our lift stations. It's not enough to pay for everything that we need, but it's a start. Um, we've also, for the first time in at least ten years. Um, bought a uh, significant in, uh, investment in new police cars. So we have 49 new uh, Dodge Interceptors that we purchased. We also have the largest uh, Tesla police uh, car uh, uh, fleet in the United States, if not the world. We have 13 Tesla police cars that are primarily driven by our detectives and nobody else has that. Uh, we are also one of the first municipalities in uh, Florida, if not the U.S., that is uh, transitioning to an all-electric minibus fleet. So for the uh, minibuses that run around the city, those free minibuses that a lot of people use, our, ours will be all-electric. Now, do you find that the electric, I don't know if the city's had them long enough, do you find that they require a lot less maintenance? Um, is 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 running uh, low on a charge an issue? I mean, why don't you so talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. You know, the, the, the Tesla decision uh, had a lot of controversy. I think primarily because of the name Tesla. You know, people thought we were buying Cadillacs, um, but but it actually saved us a lot of money. So the traditional uh, Dodge uh, Interceptor, the the traditional police cars, we saved money by buying the Teslas over the Dodge Interceptor. So um, the initial uh, cost of the Tesla is higher than the Dodge Interceptor. How much higher? Um, I, I can't remember the, the actual numbers. I have the paperwork, uh, but it's it, over five years if you if you include the maintenance and gas and um, and the residual value of a Tesla over the Dodge Interceptor. You actually save money over five years by buying the Teslas. So one of the main uh, reasons for going with the Tesla is that it saved us a lot of money. Um, and so they're not really, uh, it doesn't appear like they're great cars for, you know, road patrol for everyday uh, use, but for things like our detectives, it seems like uh, they, they um, are a win-win for Well, I'll uh, tell you city. one thing, I would never think a Tesla is an undercover vehicle of any kind. I would think it would be a Dodge. I wouldn't look at a Tesla and think that at all, so that's a good thing. Yeah, it is good for uh, for the detectives because they are um, not they're unmarked, and so they, they that that does work well. It also, you know, in a Tesla, you can run the AC all day, 
it doesn't do anything to the battery. Um, so, and then you asked about the range, you know, they have 400 mile ranges. We're a four square mile city. I think the number was that our average police car drove somewhere uh, just north of 100 miles a week. So, you know, there, there's not a lot of driving around in uh, And in you integrated car. this idea into this um, whole entire decision. Well, it, it, it was a group effort. I mean, it was obviously the, 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 the way that the city works, and a lot of cities do work this way, is that the city commission hires a city manager, and the city manager does all the day-to-day -day, uh, work. So all the employees work for the city manager. We also hire a city attorney as well. Some cities, like you know, Miami-Dade County has a strong mayor, uh, Hialeah has a strong mayor, and, and the mayor then, all the employees report to the mayor directly. Um, that's not how Hallandale's set up, and m most municipalities, at least in Broward County, um, are set up like ours is, where we hire the city manager to do uh, kind of the lion's share of work. So the city commission sets the direction, sets the policy, and then the city manager goes out and does the work. And oh, that's really interesting. Thank you. I never knew any of that. And just for anyone listening outside the Miami area, Hallandale is the first municipality in Broward. It actually borders Dade County to the south. Yes. So Aventura um, uh, on Federal Highway and uh, Golden Beach on A1A is the cities that we uh, uh, are uh, neighbors with that are in Miami-Dade County. So what what has been as expected as a commissioner and what has been a surprise for better or worse? Um, so I, I think that the... Um, I, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. So what is uh, as expected? Um, I think that a lot of the um, uh, work that is required in order to do the job is something that uh, is expected. So it's, it's a lot of reading and a lot of homework and a lot of asking questions. Um, and I kind of expected that. I think what's not expected is how slow things have to move. Not, not because, you know, government is bad. You know, a lot of people think that's the reason why uh, we move slowly. But it's because, you know, we're required to follow certain procedures as a, a municipality in order to maintain transparency, in order to make sure that we uh, notify uh, residents of meetings and of agenda items. And um, there's a lot of um, Broward County and, and, in our case, Broward County and, and um, state and even federal uh, laws that we have to comply with. Uh, as well as our own, you know, city charter. So it's it, it can be very complicated. It's not like a business where, you know, you make a decision, you go out and you do it as, uh, as fast as you can. It takes a lot longer. I would say, I, I thought of something that is a surprise to me. And, and you know, I, I realize that government, to me, is about people. You know, business is about profits. Government's really about people. But, you know, I, I wish that there was more um, uh, time spent uh, looking at the costs of uh, what government does, um, because often if we if we really try to get a return on our investment and we look at the numbers, even if uh, it's, it, it doesn't make sense from a purely financial standpoint, you often can make the case uh, uh, that it makes sense to do something anyway. Um, but we often don't look at it that way. And I wish we did more of that, but I can understand why we don't. Like I said, it's, it's really about you know, serving, serving the people. Now, did you have to take courses or anything like that when you were elected? Because I know there's like sunshine laws and other and, and accepting gifts and things like that. How, do, how did you learn what the rules are and how not to run afoul of them? 
Well, I, I think it's like any other job that it takes, you know, I, I don't know what the average is, two to five years for anybody to really learn their job. But we do have to take ethics uh, training uh, four hours a year of ethics training. Um, and two of those are live and two of those can be, uh, you know, um, online. Uh, but um, uh, you, you learn that really um, just like you do any other job. You, know, you took you... an ethics training and you're friends with my brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I just took six ethics CLEs to, to renew my license, I'll have you know. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. you got to have fun sometimes. But what are your hobbies? Do you have any hobbies? You mean other than uh, uh, doing the city yes, stuff? That's kind of my hobby right no, now. No, Mike, Mike loves, Mike's been all over the world. Like Mike to loves to travel. I'm, okay, I'm a skier. Sure. I like to ski. Where, where's the best place in the world that you've skied? Well, I, I go back almost every year to, uh, to Austria to ski. Um, and, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for it. Um, I, can, I can give you the, there's a... a you know, advantages and disadvantages. The only disadvantages are really uh, the, the time it takes to get there, the flight and the time change, you know, that you have to get used to it. But um, the advantages, it's just the, the areas are absolutely the largest ski area you've ever seen. I mean, you can't ski at all in a week. Um, the equipment the, um, that they use there is far superior to anything in the U.S. I mean, it's really high-end equipment um, to, to get you up the mountain. Um, the cost is far lower than the U.S. You know, a lift ticket in one of these areas is 50 bucks a day. As so compared to what in the U.S.? 100 or more? 150? I don't know. It's, it's expensive. Depending yes. on where you go, and much smaller areas, and and you know they typically don't have lift lines there. The, um, the on the mountain, the food that you get is, I mean, really fantastic. I mean, you're going to restaurants that are operating. Oh, it's not chili and granola bars. It is not chili and granola bars and cheeseburgers, right? <laughs> no, it's really. I mean, that great food, great uh, wine and beer, and um, it's it's a it's a great. Uh, um, place to ski in my opinion so so they don't get the other downside for europe is they don't get the powder that we get you know out west so it's a little icier it's not icy uh typically um but it's not like that light fine powder you get like in the you know like uh especially in utah um so but it, it it's great skiing in in europe um and where in austria in particular which which ski area so i normally ski in lek uh, which is a uh um, it's spelled L-E-C-H, um, and it's a great little city. It's near St. Anton, which most people probably know St. Anton, because uh, St. Anton, I think, has the largest opera ski party in the world. It's a place called Musevirt, and it is insane how many people pack into this place outdoors and how they carry the beers around. When they sell the beers, they put the beers like on that cafeteria tray that you had, they, they'll put half-liter beers on an entire tray on one level. They'll put another tray and put shots on that level and put another tray and more shots. And they'll carry this through, like, as packed as you could imagine, uh, people wearing ski boots and serve and sell beer off these trays. I don't know how they don't dump the trays constantly. You're making this place sound very appetizing to me and my fiancé right now. And, and Ron, putting it on your next, next destination. Well, she... Let's all she has to tell her, her fiance is that the beer is cheaper there and uh, they will get on a flight 
and be there by two thirty in the afternoon. And and you know, often the flights it's uh, it's off season going to Europe in the winter time, so often it's it's a better place to ski. Now I'll tell you, if you go with you know a lot of and nothing against going with them, but a lot of the groups, a lot of the uh, um, ski clubs tend to charge quite a bit to go there. So um, you, you pay a premium for somebody else booking it for you. So what's what's your favorite non-ski location to travel to? Where, where have you been that just blew you away? Oh, boy. I don't and know. It, could be, it could be like your top three. I just know that you've been everywhere and you're constantly traveling. And we were lucky to get this podcast squeezed in, not because of Jennifer's cheap drink schedule, but because of your travel schedule. Bahamas vacation with you. You should talk about that. I'd love to hear some Well, I, I don't want to. I, I know the Bahamas is his favorite when he, when he goes on uh, Ron Kurtz. Uh, trip, but I wanted him to voluntarily say it. I didn't want you to coerce him into saying it. All right, but now that it's out, um, out of so you've been on two amazing voyages with us. Uh, one to Great Harbor, and that's in the Berries, and we went all through the Berries, and I believe we did. Um, I'm sure we did Bimini and something else. Yeah, yeah, I know we did Bimini. Oh my, I'm going to tell a story. Okay, so we, all, we shared two adjoining townhouses in South Bimini, and we were all sleeping flop house style, and the guys got the top floor, which was basically a converted attic. There were two beds in the bedroom part of the attic, and then there was like this little, oh, I guess you would call it like you'd have to be part rat, part person to sleep in there because the ceiling was like three or four feet high. It was a loft. So Mike and I went in there and uh, and our, our friend uh, John Malloy, um, who of course took one of the beds for himself, uh, around two in the morning uh, I got cold and I emerged from my little rat cave, <laughs> looked around, noticed that Malloy did not have a good grip on his blanket. <laughs> <laughs> and I swiped it and I brought it back to the rat cave. Uh, it was so good. And then in the morning, all Malloy could say was, I was so cold <laughs> all night. That was a fun trip. Um, and jumping uh, down to Blue Hole and things like that. And, uh, and then our other uh, great adventure, which we actually just won on a couple of years ago, we went all the way to the Exumas. Yes. That was an amazing trip. What what stands out to you about the Exumas trip? Well, I, I mean, I had been there before, and uh, it, it's it's absolutely gorgeous there. So uh, Staniel Key is, I mean, just a phenomenal place to visit. So it, the water there is, I think, unbelievable. So people really have to go to see it. So it was a great trip, and and of course, you know, having our own house on a private island. Uh, was kind of cool too. That was an interesting uh, place. Yeah, you just made it sound so much more glamorous uh, than it was. Um, the AC did not work it, intermittently. It yeah, worked. yeah. Uh, the the generator would uh, go out uh, almost every night. Uh, there were cracks in all the cement foundations, and of course, when uh, one of our friends and I went to the swam over to the other island to check out the Nazi compound. Um, uh, a stair stairway collapsed underneath him, and uh, we had to take him to the clinic uh, the, the next day in Staniel, which was about thirty miles away, where uh, 
the physician's assistant said, quote, I took so much cement out of you, I could build another staircase. And they still didn't get it all. They and they still didn't get it all. Because when he went back to the States, they found more on x-ray. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was uh, quite, quite the adventure. So, so the Bahamas are your favorite, I guess. Bahamas were amazing. I, Jen, I'll tell you that South Africa is, is absolutely amazing if you can get there. It, uh, obviously a long flight, but man, the, um, it, the dollar is very strong right now. So it's a great place to visit. And what, what did you like about South Africa? It's a beautiful country. It's, uh, I mean, Cape Town was our, our, our favorite, but we also did safari in, um, in Kruger National Park, and safari was fantastic. But um, yeah, Cape Town's gorgeous. It's, it's, a, it's just a beautiful part of the country and inexpensive to go and visit. I, I highly recommend it. Thank so, you. I'm going to definitely look all of these recommendations up, put them on my bucket list. Thank you so much. So, Jen, it's 418, and you're dangerously close to paying full price for a drink. On our way, so you could, could um, say goodbye. I could say goodbye to Mike. It was so wonderful meeting you. And you guys can continue on your next uh, segment. All right, this ends segment one, episode 11. Just a gringo from Miami with his gringa sister, who's on her way to a happy hour at Century Village. So we wish her well, and congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. You're on speaker with Mike. Say hi, Mike. Hi, everyone. Hi. So will the wedding reception be at 2.30 at Century Village, or is it going to be cash bar, or how's that going to work? We are on our way to Cooper's Hawk, and um, we are excited. We are meeting his newlywed daughter and husband. Oh, very nice. Tell them I said hello. That's great. I All right, and uh, we're going to move on to enough chit chat. We're going to move on to segment two. All right, have a great day, guys. Bye. Bye. Enjoy Century Village. Welcome back to episode 11 with Michael Butler. This is segment two. My sister, the gringa, has rushed to find a happy hour because her now fiancé will not, under any circumstances, pay full price for a drink. So, it's just Mike Butler and I now. So, Mike, you have provided this lovely Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, How do you pronounce that? I have no idea. I'm going to say it's Thierry Delaunay. Delaunay? Thierry Delaunay? From France, and it's got a nice-looking chateau uh, on the label, but I'm sure it's actually some kind of sweatshop <laughs> where it's made. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> this chateau seems as real as, like, Betty Crocker uh, is the person who's actually cranking out um, those industrial-level pies. Anyway... You know, you were talking about your service, and what I find fascinating is that the things that really impact people's lives, uh, like making sure their sewerage goes in the right direction, uh, etc., is a lot of what is important um, from government, but yet that 
has the least amount of interest and gets the least amount of publicity from people. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that, that really the most important things are the things that people seem to care the least about? I don't, I don't know. I think we all, including myself, I mean, I, for years, didn't uh, spend any time thinking about my local politics. It was only when I uh, looked around and thought that maybe things could be better and started to get involved and, and frankly, learned more about uh, you know where our tax dollars went that I uh, got more involved but I think I think it's almost normal for most people you think about uh, newspapers and, and uh, TV they almost never report on local politics you know they all report on international national state maybe um, rarely county you know our, our county's budget is I don't know two billion or four billion it's some enormous amount of money but there's very little reporting. Even our local newspaper, you know, in Broward County, the Sun Sentinel, doesn't done, do do a tremendous amount of local reporting. So I I think there's not a lot of access to information. Um, I don't know. Most people, we just voted in the midterms, and a lot of people would ask me about the judges. Where do you get information about judges and whether you should vote to retain them or not? There's very little information. And if you think there's very little information about that, it's the same with local politics. And I'm guessing that's probably, I don't know why, but just since you asked the question, I'm guessing that it has a lot to do with just the, the lack of real coverage. So it's, it's funny you say that because in this last election cycle, because I'm a lawyer and part of my practice is litigation, um, I got a lot of text messages and direct messaging on you know what I thought about the judges. And it's funny, even as a, a practicing attorney, uh, there's a ton of judges uh, in Dade County and a ton of judges in Broward County. Even as a practicing attorney, I, I only know a portion of them. And even what you know isn't necessarily giving people like the background that they need to make a Oh, no. A if I'm in front of them, I know. Okay. All right. That's fair. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know the ones who haven't read anything or the ones that forgot their, uh, they were ever an attorney and now, you know, they think they're wearing a crown instead of a robe. And, you know, conversely, I know the ones that are just absolute rock stars and I just wonder how they keep up with their caseload because the judges have a crazy caseload. So, no, if, I, if I'm in front of them, I, 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 I do know. So, do you think that the career politicians, which you're clearly not one, maybe they like that there's so little access to information and so little publicity because then they could basically do what they want without being questioned. Well, I, I, I don't know if that's uh, entirely, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's the case in some, for some people, but um, the running for local politics, it takes a lot of work and there's a lot of interaction. You know, like they say, all politics is local. So when you're running for office, even even people who've been in office for a long time, and I think the statistic in Florida is that 96% of incumbents are reelected. Really? Yeah, it's very, very high. Really? Very so high. so if you're elected and your goal is to stay in office, you have a 96% chance of doing so. Yeah. It's That's very hard crazy. To, yeah. It's, it's, you know, knowing what to do, how to do it, to raise the money to do it, um, is certainly something that you have to learn and um, uh, or, or hire a, a campaign consultant that can help you 
um, uh, learn how to do it. So, I, you know, people that are in office and want to stay in office certainly can, can often do so if they want to, um, but they do have to, you know, respond to the voters. And you know, it, it's it's what's the saying that all, all voters uh, deserve the politicians they get. Uh, so. You know, we we have term limits in the United States, and they're called elections. And so, you know, if you don't like the way that things are going, you can certainly mount a campaign to get somebody out of office. But it is not easy uh, to do. So, if someone does want to be an educated voter and just an educated citizen of their local municipality, how do they stay informed when really media outlets no longer cover local politics, which really is a shame. It is a shame. I, you know, I, I think the best way to do it is to, is to get in contact with their local elected officials. Or um, they can also you know, sign up for the notifications that cities often will send out, um, which, which is going to give them at least an idea of what's happening in their local At least it's city. issue spotting. Yes. And, okay. and so I, I know like the city of Hollywood sends out emails, I think on a weekly basis that are very informative of what's going on in the city of Hollywood. We're trying to do something similar in, in Hallandale Beach. Uh, most cities have a public information officer whose job is, is to get that information out to the public. You know, the, the big challenge is, is, is communication. And, you know, we have so many different ways of communicating today that some people want emails and some people hate emails. Some people want a text message and some people, you know, they will get very upset if you send them a text. So um, it, it's, it's not an easy uh, thing to, to try to get out that information to communicate with people in a way that, you know, they can, they can uh, accept it. So I... I will tell you just an experience I had. So I, I live in Miami Shores, which is it's very small. It's actually called The Village. and That's the proper name of it. And they were trying to slide by this new comprehensive plan that would have been atrocious. And the only way I found out about it was a neighbor found out about it and sort of everyone started telling everyone. And I have to tell you, 800 people showed up for this meeting and... And our commissioner, our council people, um, decided to table the table the vote and have workshops and things like that because people were fired up. It would have profoundly changed the zoning and the and the nature of the of the um, of the village, and it was really a, a Trojan horse. And um, so, I will tell you that in that case, I you know I read the newsletter we get every week. They mail it to you whether you want it or not. I'm sorry, every month I think whether you want it or not. And there wasn't even anything displayed about this. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm pretty sure that they were keeping it quiet. And now it's published and et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have at least a core of people that are really watching what's going on, because I wasn't watching what's going on. I, I have a job, I've got this, I've got kids, uh, you know, I like to take the boat out. Um, I, I, I like, you know, to go have a drink, no matter what time of day it is, unlike my sister. So, um, who has time to monitor? You need that core of people, and it used to be the local local newspaper or whatever and that just doesn't exist anymore yeah i think most people don't have time and and and, you know we're required um in florida to publish the agendas a week before the meeting 
to tell people what we're going to be but talking about. But do you think about. a week is enough? Most well, people have their schedule set out for the week. Yeah, I, I would say that um, it's, it's difficult to even do the week. Um, to, to get a week's notice sometimes is a challenge because there's so much information that has to be included, all the backup material. Everything that uh, you know I need in order to make a decision has to be included in the backup material, and then I, you know I have to read that and make you know uh, uh, prepare all my questions um, and get those answered prior to the meeting. Typically, you know it's not something I want to do during the meeting. Um, it takes a, a lot of time. I don't. It would be really difficult. I think a, a huge burden on the city uh, bureaucracy to do any more than a week. Uh, but I, I get your point. You're, it's, it's a valid point because some of these issues can be incredibly uh, complex and complicated. Well, uh, does the city of Hollandale at least have a provision where there's a first reading, a second reading, and all that? Yeah. So yeah. that helps, yes. right? There are two readings always. And often we will pass something on first reading and, and make changes before the second reading in order to address issues that come up that we didn't have time to address prior to the first reading. But that's a good point. So I'll, I'll tell you what I have found helpful now that I'm aware of what's going on with Miami Shores is, so they really don't have that much current useful information on their website, okay? Um, but I had a Twitter account years ago when it first started and then it just it, it, it degenerated into such nonsense. I, I I wasn't on it for years, and then, as you know, I've got new ownership. I'm like, yeah, let me give it another shot. And I don't follow a lot of things, but I follow Miami Shores, and I notice that good information pops up on Twitter. It's the same in, in the city of Palindale. So I follow the uh, Twitter feed and the Instagram feed of our city, and there's a lot more current information that comes that way than um, I get by email or phone. Um, so, it, I, you know, but it's just not, like I said earlier, you know, everybody wants to be fed that information in a different way. Um, if, you're, if you follow your local city's Twitter and Instagram feeds, you'll probably, like you, like you just said, get a lot better information than you are. But then older people are sort of shut out, right? It, it's exactly the point. That's, that's the challenge is, is that older people may get all their new, um, information from the newspaper. And then, so, you know, you have to publish the stuff in the newspaper, which is a requirement by law, but, you know, most people don't see that, you know, we've notified uh, what's coming up in a, in a city commission meeting. Well, I, I, th I think we've thoroughly covered uh, local government, which I wanted to do because I'm sure no other elected official would ever, ever come on our podcast. So I appreciate that. But... The only, the only thing I'll say, and you'll deny it because you're humble, and you're really humble. It's not fake humble. I've always thought that the best politicians are, are people who would have a great life, whether they were elected or not. If they got elected, great. If they didn't get elected, even better. And you're one of those people because you travel, you have a smoking hot girlfriend, um, you're... You live in a great place, you're a boater, you've got great friends. So you don't need uh, to be an elected official to give you a, a feeling of self-worth and you're not on a power trip. So we need people like you. But the problem is people like you, for all the reasons I said, generally don't run. How do you fix that? 
I, honestly, I don't know, Ron, because it's, it, I agree with everything you're saying, and I wish that uh, everything you're saying about we need more people to run, because I say all the time that um, if more people would step up and get involved, I think that, uh, frankly, our government would function a lot better than it does. And, and I think the way to look at it is, is that it's, it's a part-time job. I mean, I, we, we literally have a part-time job uh, running um, the city as a city commissioner. It's not a full-time job. You can make it a full-time job. I mean, you can certainly work the hours, but I wish more people would get involved. And, and I will say this too, is that for those people who have a, a, an interest but don't feel like they're ready to run for office, there are so many boards and committees that are available. So the, our planning and zoning board, just as an example, is an incredibly important group of volunteers that, that come to the city to listen to things like you're talking about earlier with your, um, your, your change in some of the uh, uh, city's code. Um, they hear it first before it comes to the city commission. And so the city commission gets recommendations from residents who are volunteering and, and most of those meetings at most are once per month. Um, they're not uh, terribly uh, taxing. Uh, we do have some, you know, voluntary jobs like our pension board, which can be a lot more um, uh, taxing on, on folks. But uh, there's a lot of opportunities, I think, to get involved in local cities if you don't want to run for office. Okay. Last but not least, <clears throat> you know, in 2024, uh, Biden's going to be 82. Trump's going to be, I don't know, 78, something like that. Are you prepared today to make an announcement? <laughs> I will be your campaign manager. No. <laughs> no. Are you prepared yet. to make an announcement today? <laughs> Two years is a long time, but no, there is no so way. I, no way. So no. what I'm hearing is there's a chance. <laughs> it's like that Dumb and Dumber episode. <laughs> Not a chance in a million. So there's a chance? <laughs> no. Uh, you heard it here, folks. He has not ruled it out 100%. <laughs> so, you know, on a more personal note, you are the most, you've heard the most interesting man alive, right? Yes, of course. Okay. And he, I think in the last commercial, he went into space or something. So that slot's available, but that's not what I'm recommending you for. I do think you hold the title of most organized man alive. Well, you have to be organized to do two jobs, right? What, 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 how are you so organized? Is, what, is it the German thing? Maybe. I think it might have a lot to do with that, sure. That I, was, yeah. I feel like the whole reason you ran for office was, wow, this is chaos. I need to organize this. Well, it was chaos. I mean, we, we had years of problems. So, yeah, for sure, it was chaos. So let's talk about more immediate bringing order to chaos, which is having you as a crew member on my boat. For well over a decade, my method of organizing uh, the swim floats, which we call the water diapers, uh, which you float on, was to just have them all scattered below the center console in the hole below. And you actually blew my mind by taking a bungee cord and running it through the handles of the of of the water diapers, like how does that even occur to you? That that wouldn't occur to me in a million years. Does it speak to you? Are you are you the disorder whisperer? What 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 goes through your mind? You know, they say that if you want to, to get something got done 
quickly give it to the lazy person. I just wanted to do something faster because it was too slow doing those things one at a time. Putting them all together in one nice neat package just made my life easier. Oh, you didn't like you didn't like the impromptu Easter egg hunt every time we had to <laughs> get get the water floats out. Going down into that hatch to, go, <laughs> to try to dig through. That, yeah, that hatch. That, that hatch full of stuff. It was which, like the worst closet that any right, ever had. Everything it, got thrown into that hatch. Exactly. Yeah, that that's that that hatch was 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 a, a black hole. So I also notice, you know, I'll pack like a normal check luggage, you know, to go somewhere or on our trips. Obviously, we're not getting on a plane. We're getting on a ridiculously small boat to go ridiculously far out in the ocean. I'll have like a full blown huge body size duffel bag and you'll have a backpack how, how, how do, and and you look better kept and less wrinkled than all of us combined like how, what, what's your secret we must know I, I don't know i thought that's what do we need it's a couple of swim trunks and a shirts i don't it would seem like it was a so your secret is lack of hygiene <laughs> yes no <laughs> You just wear the same dirty stuff over and over again. Yeah, you just have to learn how to mix and match. Got it. Okay, yeah. so you 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 mix the crotch rot with the pit, with, yeah. with with the smelly pits. Is, is... You know what I used to when I used to travel, uh, I used to go on three week trips at a time uh, around the world, and I would take two suits, a gray suit and a blue suit, and you could mix and match the pants and the jacket. Take four dress shirts. Every two days, I'd have my shirts laundered, and uh, I could go for three weeks with a carry-on. I, I couldn't even. My method is to bring a ton of crap, and as I wear it once, I I shove it in a garbage bag. And this is why luggage lasts one trip for me because I break the zipper because the clothes are achieving escape velocity. Um, as as I'm flying back, you know, with the pressure changes and everything. Well, you are really have challenged yourself bringing order to chaos and public service. I know even in your job, you do packaging, right? I do. Yes, that's what I do. T talk life. talk about someone who found found their calling. <laughs> maybe maybe it made me who I am today. I don't know. You 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 package. You come up with packaging designs, right? Yeah, I mean, my, my company is a, a distribution company, so we, we distribute products to manufacturers that they use in, in the manufacturing process, and typically it's packaging items that they use to package the products that they make. That's true. Have you really, ever, have, very boring stuff, Ron. Have you ever thought of it, not to you, have you ever thought about consulting where you just show up at someone's house for a fee and you just organize their house? I, I, it would be uh, impossible for me to do. Yeah, I don't think I could handle that. No, no. just too much chaos all the time. I, you know, a lot of that stuff is. Uh, uh, I don't think I. I know. Um, I know how to do it only because my subconscious figures it out. I don't think I know how to do it. Uh, it consciously. just. It just comes to you. Yes, it does. Right. Do, do you do like? Uh, do do you do you meditate or do you find Zen and then like? Closet organizers appear, or how do, how does that work? I think I think we should talk about there's a there's a story that I think we need to tell about our first uh, Bahamas trip that we're missing here, 
Do you, do you remember this, uh, this <laughs> our first trip that I went on? I don't, I don't know which trip this was for you, but it was my first trip with you. And uh, we were in Great Harbor, and you and Malloy are looking at the charts. Do you remember this story? Uh, I, remember, you, I remember I was looking at the charts. Well, Malloy was there. I don't know whether he was looking at it. But the two of you were uh, standing at the table looking at the charts and trying to chart our way back from Great Harbor to get to wherever we were going. And everywhere you were looking, the water was one feet deep, one foot deep. Do you remember this? I do. You're like, this is impossible. We're never going to make it back. We got to go all the way around here. It's going to be the six hour. And I don't remember if it was you or Malloy finally figured out that the actual uh, depth was in meters instead of feet. Yes. And all of a sudden, we could go anywhere. We <laughs> I, I do go. remember that, and and that's typical of our captaining skills. Um, I remember the story a little differently. I remember diligently pouring over the charts. And Malloy constantly distracting me, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure your 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 I'm, memory. I'm is... sure that was part of it too. And I'm looking forward to the next trip where you guys are captaining the uh, the catamaran. Yeah, the next the next uh, chapter of our of our captaining is going to be catamarans. We are now certified. Uh, we did take sailing. I really hope our instructor is not listening to our podcast. Who am I kidding? No, no one's listening to this podcast. Certified the captain, not certified. Yeah, and uh, so we did it on sailing, so we all know how to sail now. Um, but I got to tell you, I saw a motor cat. They're the best. Yeah, when sailing stuff, like the sails and the mast and all that, that takes up a lot of quality space. Yeah. You're, you're much better off just with the motor. It's just like you're not going to um, go out and get a horse and buggy. You're going to take a car. But right? I like the idea now you can fly somewhere, rent a cat, and it expands your options. Of I, absolutely. Because we, we, I mean, we, we've done like every square inch of the Bahamas. And once we start doing everything, you know, two and three times, I think we're pressing our luck. So I think uh, we're going to go somewhere and uh, rent, a, rent a catamaran and you'll be with us. And um, we'll see what, uh, you know. Any ideas yet on where? Uh, I've never been to Greece. Oh wow! Okay, that's. I've okay. never been to Greece, and what a way to go to Greece! That and would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I think that would be amazing, and uh, I feel like the Greeks are pretty lax, so that when we inevitably have some calamity, they'll be more understanding, uh, as opposed to if oh I don't know, uh, the Germans seem a little more strict. That's true. Yeah, and uh, not not that you know we want to go. Sailing in German waters, it seems like kind of cold and deep. I've heard Croatia is another great place for sailing. Yeah, I, that seems a, a, a step too far at this point. Okay. At this point, um, I, I can conceptualize Greece. When I was a kid, I used to see those Parliament cigarette ads in right. the in the in, in the magazines, and um, and it was Santorini, and I just it would so if. I could sail up to Santorini. That would that that would be super cool. Plus, plus I love Greek food, and uh, I, I just think it would be great. So I don't know how this podcast became about me, but I see that you've turned the tables. <laughs> well, I think we've covered everything. I think we've covered your travels. I think we've covered your government service. You as a crew member, um, you know, I real all joking aside, I really do hope that you run for even higher office because there's so few politicians like you. 
Uh, I will be your campaign manager. Well, thank you, Ron. Um, Luckily, you'll never have to do that. <laughs> no, never say never. You said there was a chance you might run for president, <laughs> so there's still that. And um, I just think uh, this is a very interesting podcast. People really, I think, got a feeling for what it's like to be a public servant who cares. Because just like with some judges, I could tell they don't read anything. I've been, uh, when I went to this Village Miami Shores thing recently, I could tell that there were some commission, uh, council people who were very engaged and others that just kept looking at their watch and had not read anything. So even though I don't live in Hollandale Beach, I thank you for your service. I thank you for being a, a great crewmate and a great friend. And um, I think this was a great podcast, especially once uh, my sister ran off to get her $2 beers. <laughs> And uh, until next time, this has been Just a Gringo from Miami with Michael Butler and for part of it, his gringa sister, the gringa. And until next time, when we somehow convince some unwitting person to be our uh, podcast guest, um, have a great Thanksgiving and uh, great holidays. And I'm sure we will see you in the new year.